This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works or others in the publishing industry about their job, what it entails, and the books they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring the next six months of my podcast. Today, I am chatting with Danielle Bartlett. She is a publicity director at William Morrow, an imprint of HarperCollins, where she has worked for 16 years. She has spearheaded campaigns for major best-selling crime and mystery authors, including but not limited to Greg Isles, Don Winslow, and Patricia Cornwell. In addition to fiction, she works on numerous true crime books, such as Diane Lake's Member of the Family, about Lake's time as a member of the Manson family. A graduate of New York University, she lived in New York, but recently returned to her hometown outside of Dallas, where she cares for her mother, husband, and children. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Welcome, Danielle. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. It's so good to be with you today. I am so glad you are here because we have worked together for a while now, but we haven't ever really spoken in person. So I'm looking forward to getting to chat and learning a little bit more about you and what you do. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. I know that publicity can kind of be this like secret mystery job in publishing. So I'm happy to, you know, dispel some of the secrets and give you a little background in what we do at the publishing house. That sounds great. How did you get started as a book publicist? So honestly, um, it was a little uh, strange road for me. I went to NYU and I studied mass media and communications. And I thought I wanted to be in magazines or in broadcast as a producer. Uh, I interned at Charlie Rose during 9-11 and that just like crushed my spirit, honestly. I was like, I cannot work in TV. It's too depressing. I I can't it'll just ruin me. So I decided that wasn't the route that I wanted to go. Um, And then I interned at Hearst Magazines and and it was great. And I interned in their PR department. I thought I wanted to be editorial, but being at Hearst Magazines and working on Esquire and O Magazine was just really, really fun. We did parties and we did, you know, we were send the writers to uh, the Today Show to talk about the articles and the magazines. And I was like, this is where I want to be. So I finally have found my niche. I was I wanted to be in PR. And so I just started looking for different aspects of PR. And um, I ended up working at an agency, which is great if you're going into PR, because a lot of agencies will get different kinds of clients. So we had travel clients, we had book clients, we had restaurants. So I was able to like dip my toe into different kinds of publicity. And I worked with Harlequin's uh, Red Dress Inc. imprint with the famous publicist Pam Jaffe, who's now over at Sourcebooks, who is like the most amazing romance publicist in the industry. And she was my mentor. And she went over to Harper 
Collins. And a year later, she called me and said, hey, I know you love mysteries and thrillers. We have an opening. Do you want to come over? And I just jumped at the opportunity. And I have been at Harper for 16 years now. So that is my road. I never did one of the publishing programs or anything like that, but I know they're great. But I I think having that kind of agency experience has really helped me in uh, publishing PR because I look at things a little bit differently. That's a fascinating road to get to where you are. Yeah, I mean, it was, I um, I think I'm so lucky that Pam is in my life and she's an amazing uh, publicist and mentor. And I'm so glad that she brought me over because I am so happy and in, publish, in publishing PR because I really feel like it's where I was meant to be. Um, I do love all PR. I love, I love travel. My mom worked for American Airlines growing up, so I traveled a lot. But I think reading and exploring and um, getting to know the authors and their their inspiration and just delving into their lives is really, really fun. Yeah, I love it. And I bet you're glad you didn't go into magazines. <laughs> <laughs> My first, the, the head of the director of the PR for Hearst when I w- was interning there, she is now the PR person for Peloton. Which is not a bad gig, I have to no, say. No, I was going to say, that would not be a bad gig at all. Yeah, it's funny with the people you beat um, along the road, where they end up. So, Well, and that's interesting with PR, because you really can jump around, because your job is has to do with promoting. And so you can be promoting any variety of things. And as you said, sometimes that even provides a different experience and gives you background that others might not have. Exactly. You know, I mean, that's, like you said, the PR is just... It's the tools that you use that can be applied to so many different industries. And, you know, I think that's what makes the PR department kind of different is because, yes, we can promote the book and the author, but we also promote the events and we create events and we do so there's just so many kind of like tentacles that we have that we can reach out to and create new and different ways to get the word out about books and authors. And thinking outside the box and maybe having experience in other fields would give you ideas that maybe if people are just working on books regularly might not have. Yeah, I mean, I will. I I, I do have a really good example of that. A few years back, we worked with an Icelandic author, Irisa Sigurdardur. She was doing her debut. We had her debut novel. I was able to contact Iceland Air. And they were trying to get, you know, more of their routes in the United States. And Yursa was just like this wonderfully bubbly author. And she just like was so great. And so we did a press tour with Iceland Air where we took about five or six journalists over to Iceland. And she took the journalists on a tour of the different spots in her book for I think it was three days, resulted in a big piece in the New York Post and some other, you know, some trade outlets as well, which is something I probably wouldn't have thought of had I not come from the travel background. I love that. And what fun for them. I'd love to talk a tiny bit more about where you are at HarperCollins, like William Morrow, and then the imprints that are under William Morrow. Can you kind of walk me through that? Yeah, so it is. it can be a little confusing. And honestly, I still get confused just because my whole publishing career has been at HarperCollins. So I really only know people who have come into HarperCollins in some way and gone out and come back and that sort of thing. So the way HarperCollins works is, you know, HarperCollins Publisher is the umbrella 
And then we have imprints. So there's the Harper imprint, and then there's the William Morrow imprint, which is who I work for. And they each have their own publishers. There's a lot of other imprints. But within the William Morrow imprint, we also have Day Street, and we have Custom House. The brands and the names of the imprints, they sometimes change. I remember early in my career, we had an imprint called Dark Alley. Each imprint has its own kind of brand and niche. And so that's kind of how that works. I am at William Morrow. So I work on mainly William Morrow hardcover books, but I also work on some Day Street titles, um, some Custom House. The great thing about the way our department works is our editors launch their books and we kind of send in our wish list and we can pretty much request to work on whatever we want within our imprint, which is really nice. Sometimes we'll partner up with publicists, which is really fun because they can bring a new perspective. That's kind of how the basics, bare bones works. Well, one of my questions for you was going to be how you get assigned the books you work on. So you just mentioned that you can kind of put in, I guess, a preference list. But how does that work exactly? Like, can you walk me through that process? Sure. So um, I'll even take some steps back. And so agents, they send in proposals for authors and books. And we, those, you know, obviously the editors are the ones that get that. But sometimes they'll ask publicists to weigh in on things. And if we read something in proposal stage, we might really love it and request to work on it then. But um, we have launch and we have launch once a season. We are about to launch, I think, oh gosh, now I'm like, I think it's summer 2022. So at launch, the editors come in and they talk about the books that are going to, that they are going to be publishing in that time frame. And so from there, we say, uh, you know, we pick the ones that we want to work on. We say, uh, you know, we want to work on these. Usually it's, I, I like to pick a lot just because um, the more you pick, the more chances you have to work on different types of books. It goes back and we, and our brilliant director goes back and kind of sorts out workload and timing and that sort of thing. And then we get our assignments and we, then the ball gets rolling on introductions and crafting press materials and all that fun stuff. That's so fascinating because I had never really thought about it. And then when I was preparing for this interview and also just a couple times lately when I was looking up a publicist for a book or something, I thought, I wonder how they actually get assigned the books. So that's interesting. And then do you work closely with the editor once you're assigned to a particular book? Oh, absolutely. There's a whole team. So each book has a team of the editor, usually um, an editorial assistant, a marketing contact, and then a publicist. And then also the publishing office, you know, is, is involved in certain aspects as well. There's also managing editorial and our art department. And there is just a big, big team that works on bringing a book to life. Usually the, my, my closest colleagues when I'm working on a book are the editor and the marketing person because marketing and publicity work in tandem. Um, there's a lot of crossover. And then editorial, obviously, we want to make sure that they have the most insight into the vision that the author had when they were writing the book and the choices that were made along the road on the, on the way to like the completion of the book, they can kind of guide us into how we want to package, you know, the materials and what, what sort of aspects stand out for the book. Obviously, we all read every book that we work on. 
And uh, I, I know that sounds a little trivial, but sometimes people will say, how can you, you know, how do you read all the books that you work on it? I mean, I don't see how you could not <laughs> read the book that you work on. And we come up with our own ideas. But it, you know, I think the great thing about having a team is you kind of collaborate and say, you know, oh, just like a book club, you know, I know that you have a lot of book clubs. And you say, oh, do you remember that scene that really stuck out to me? Like, what can we pull out from there that is going to resonate with readers? And, and that's where the fun really starts in, in being able to publicize and market a book. And I'm sure the editor has insight into the author's personality and sort of the things, as you said, that were important to the author, because that could make a big difference, too, in terms of what you're planning for the author, what they might be interested in doing, what their strengths are. Social media, some are so good with social media and can do these reels and videos, and they're so entertaining, and other people, that may not appeal to them as much. Absolutely. And I think you just hit the nail on the head. Each publicity campaign is a different collaboration of different aspects for different authors. I have some authors that can write these beautiful personal essays that talk to their inspiration, um, their how their life is woven into the story of the book, maybe a article or a new story that they read that inspired some of the plot. And then I have authors that just cannot do that, which is <laughs> fine. Uh, and then I have, like you said, I have some people that are just amazing, bubbly on social media, and they have this real presence on social media. So we will do more IG lives or more virtual events because they really resonate with an audience and we really get a lot of great feedback that way. Or, you know, sometimes the book is just, just flat out amazing. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to say like, that our, all of our books are amazing, but like sometimes we just know this book is going to be well-reviewed and we just like know to push for reviews. We want to get all of our books reviewed, but like I think there's some that just we know that the reviewers are going to pull out certain things and they're just going to, and it's going to be a, a, a strong review campaign. And then, you know, sometimes we'll focus on more roundups and things like that. So there's there's just a lot of different ways <laughs> ways to publicize a book and I the reason I'm laughing is I'm I'm just thinking about events which is kind of like Pandora's box right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Which is obviously another tool in our toolkit but has been drastically, you know, changed over the last year and a half. And, you know, I'm happy to go into that, but uh, it is definitely been a challenge. And also, you know, there's also a silver lining to everything, but uh, events are, have definitely been tricky. And I'm so curious to see where that's going to go, you know, how it's going to play out long-term with the changes from COVID. But I think that's something that probably is chatted about a lot. So I have some other questions I'd love to ask you if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've probably talked ad nauseum about... <laughs> oh, not at all. I think it's all fascinating. And that gave me about 16 more questions. So I'm like, before I forget them. <laughs> so first, it's always a little confusing to me, the difference in publicity and marketing. And I think it is for other people too. I have gotten a better sense of it than when I began, but can you kind of walk through that? Yeah. And I think what makes it confusing also is because different publishers split the workload of what is publicity and marketing 
differently. So, but I can speak to what we do. So for HarperCollins, or for William Morrow, publicity is basic. I'm going to say this, and I think it's kind of a simple simplization of it, but it's anything that involves the author that is not a paid spot. So for instance, if we're booking the Today Show, or we are setting up an author event with a bookstore, or reaching out to reviewers to get the book reviewed, or setting up an IG Live with the author, with a bookstagrammer. Those are all publicity facing. Where it can be a little confusing is our marketing department will also reach out to bookstagrammers for coverage. And that is because the author is not involved, that is more marketing based. I think it really gets tricky in the social media. Social media ads is all marketing. Publicity does not pay for anything. I mean, that at the end of the day, I think that's the biggest tell of the difference between marketing and publicity. We do not pay for interviews. We do not pay for any kind of write-ups or anything like that. If, it, if, we're, if there's money on the table, it goes to marketing. So that's kind of the biggest, you know, so they do ads. They can set up, you know, Instagram tours. They can set up that sort of thing. It's kind of a nebulous topic, and I'm happy. And I'm happy to talk about it more, but it's a little hard to like drill down. People will be interested to hear that because sometimes I do get contacted by the marketing department, but most of the time it's publicity. And so I'm always kind of curious, and I have to kind of look down and be like, if it's somebody I don't know, I'm like, okay, what is their title and where are they? You know, it's just kind of interesting to see how it plays out and who's contacting me. Yeah. And actually that, that actually brings up another thing, like marketing might reach out to you to do a spot on the podcast, right? That would be something that marketing would handle. But if I was to set up an interview for you with one of my authors that as we have done, (laughs) that would be publicity. Got it. So that makes sense. Okay, good. Well, thank you. Another question I had for you when we were talking earlier about publicity and what they do, how many books are you assigned at one time? What does your load look like normally? That's also a little tricky um, because the book's life cycle is about a year for me. It's about a year. So like I said, we're about to launch books. So we'll go into launch and um, then we pick our books and we get assigned. And that's about a year in advance. So then I start working on publicity plans reading the book, coming up with early press materials, early pitches, that sort of thing. And so that can be anywhere from like five to 10 books a season, I'm going to say. So, and that, you know, a 10 is really high. Like it's usually, I would, I want to say like one to two books a month on sale. But we, you know, December is a notorious month where there's not a lot of books going on sale. So, you know, I think there's light times and there's heavy times around Father's and Mother's Day. That can be a little, you know, April, March, April, May is a heavy time for us as well. Going into summer reading, that's just like a really, we we publish a lot of books. The industry publishes a lot of books. So, it's funny, like right now, I'm, I had a book go on sale this week. I'm working on the schedule. I'm like really in deep with the author, working on different interviews. But I'm also looking at books coming out in March of 2022. And we're thinking about, you know, the early plans and, and you know, getting the word out, doing maybe cover reveals and 
releasing early excerpts. So while I might only be having, you know, one or two books on sale, there's a lot of other things going on. We're touching a lot of different books at the same time continuously. Certainly, it would seem like when the books are actually going on sale, you've already done a fair amount of your work. Of course, as the book is going on sale, there's a lot happening right then. But you've probably done a lot of the work in the months leading up to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I I would say the six months ahead of time when we're really getting early interest and all of that is probably the most intense. And then three months to like right up onto on sale is just that's game time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I say, buckle your seatbelts, ladies. It's going to get intense now because we are booking as many interviews as we can, trying to get as many assets out there, reviews, confirming media. And I have to say, pre-pandemic, we would know weeks in advance of when things would be running. I don't know if the media is struggling as much as we are, like trying to like kind of change their game a little bit, but we're not getting advanced notice, but, but like days before. So the game has changed a little bit. You know, we would be booking way in advance and now it's much closer to the on-sale date. That's interesting. I wonder why that is. I don't know. Maybe I, I, I have to think it's maybe people playing a little bit of catch up. You know, I think we, as much as we say, want to say we're like past the struggle of the pandemic, I think it's really lingered in a lot of ways and we're not quite back to normal yet. And and to be fair, a lot of books that were pushed out of that early time are now publishing now, right now and in the fall. And um, there's just a lot of books out there right now. A lot of books. I felt like that for the spring too. That because of things being pushed from kind of that initial time and then even from the fall, that I could just barely keep up with the books that were coming out in, I would say, February through June. Mm-hmm. I agree. I Yeah, I think there's just a, a lot out there. I, and the great news is that people are reading more. I mean, we I, the industry is doing great. So the, I think people are reading more and we want to increase, you know, meet that demand. I'm not sure the media uh, has really... Uh, I I think they're a little bit overwhelmed. They're a little bit. And I think there's been a lot of cuts. So the people who maybe felt like their life was decently balanced in the media now are probably taking on a lot more than they were before. So that also may be some of what's taking it a little bit longer to get out into the world or to have an article run or a podcast episode or whatever it is. I agree. Yeah, I think we're seeing uh, not to like get all deep or anything, but I think people are evaluating, especially in the media right now, uh, what what, where they want to go, what they want to do. And um, I think I think it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out in the future because I just think there's a less amount of people doing the job that were doing the job before the pandemic. So uh, until we see a little bit of more hiring, more space, more opportunity, I think the, the short timelines and the less uh, foresight, so to say, is going gonna, is gonna to stay. I think that's right. Well, what does a typical workday look like for you? Oh, my goodness. I had a a boss, Seal Ballinger. He's over at Disney now. He said, 
publicity is like like a carousel. You can hop on and hop off at any time. And I love that analogy because really like there is no end to what you could be doing for a campaign and, and a book. And you really just, it's like riding the ride. So um, a typical day, I really try to stay on top of my emails because at the end of the day, publicity is about communication and relationships. And I, it's really important that people know that they can rely on me to get the things that they need, whether that's a bookseller doing an event with one of my authors and they need a press kit or an author photo, or it's an editor over at the New York Times who needs to fact check and they need the PDF of the interior of the book. I need to be timely in the in that communication. So uh, communication emails is probably my number one focus. And that's where I would say that's just responding. And then there's the outreach, right? There's the pitches that the, you know, trying to find new contacts, new relationships and that sort of thing and sending those pitches out, creating new angles for the book. If, if something's not resonating with people at first, then trying a new angle or a new way to get in and get their attention for a book. And then there's, booking events and setting up tours. And sometimes, um, I mean, I I haven't done it in a while, but I'm going to be booking travel for authors soon, which is just blows my mind. I have to like dust off those cogs <laughs> in my brain and figure out how to do that again. Um, and there's that aspect. I manage a few junior employees. So I check in with them and just make sure that, you know, their campaigns are going well, try to brainstorm ideas for their campaigns. And then uh, we have monthly and weekly calls with, I work on the Agatha Christie estate. So I I check in with our UK team uh, monthly, and then I check in with the estate monthly because they've got a lot going on. And she's just, Agatha's great. I love working with that team. Um, I love everything about it. It's just so innovative and creative and a lot of new properties coming out. I'm trying to think what else. Like, I, I mean, it, it's just a lot of collaboration, communication, creating materials, talking points, that sort of thing. Well, I always appreciate your responsiveness regarding email because you always respond so quickly. And sometimes if you're really busy, you'll be like, I got this. And I will let you know in a couple of days, but it's just so nice to know that you have the email and that it is on your list. I just always really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I try to, especially with my, with the junior members of our team. I just, even if it's just a, Hey, I got that, you know, like you said, like I respond to everything. I learned my lesson. (laughs) I would say, oh, a week into working at Harper, I didn't, I didn't really get that. Uh, I didn't understand why you needed to respond to an email, even if you didn't have the answer. I was like, well, I don't have the answer yet. Why would I respond? And I, and then I understood, I understood that people just need to know that you're there and you've heard them and that you're working on it. And then you can go back to them. It, you know, I think, I think we sometimes get in this habit of like, I don't want to send multiple emails, but you know, if it's going to take you a couple of days to work on the answer, then you need to send multiple emails. Well, and I think responsiveness varies so much across the board with publicists, which just probably is the case with, you know, any industry. But so there are times when I feel like I have no idea if this person has my email. I don't know if they're working on it. I don't know if I need to follow up. 
So just knowing that you may not have the answer, but you at least have heard from me and you have the message and you're working on it is such a relief because I can mentally check it off my list. Exactly. And I, I feel the same way. You know, I would say if I had one message to the media across the board is just let me know it's a pass and I'll stop bugging you. <laughs> Well, that's so funny because, you know, I asked you that question a while ago because I get pitched so many books. A lot of the time I just let the emails go. Well, I used to let them go. And so finally I was like, I'm just going to ask Danielle. You know, I felt like comfortable enough asking you. And you were like, just let somebody know. So now I just do that. You know, I'm too busy or, you know, this is my genre, whatever it is. And so I appreciated that bit of advice. Occasionally I'll hear back and people say, thank you so much for letting me know. Exactly. It also helps us kind of hone how we pitch you, right? So if we know that we've pitched you five mysteries and thrillers and you're just not biting at those, we might we might go into the notes and say, listen, Cindy seems to, you know, she booked so and so, so and so and so and so. She seems to like this sort of thing, but this doesn't seem to be her cup of tea. Or, you know, and then we know we have a database of our media and we put in notes. And so then when we're adding people to our lists of who we're gonna pitch for a certain book, we're like, oh well, this doesn't seem like her cup of tea. I'm you know, maybe I'll hold off on pitching her this. Well, that was one of my questions for you, because I'm always so curious how publicists decide who they're going to pitch. And that can be in the blogger arena, bookstagrammer, podcast, whatever it is, because there will be times where I get pitched. And this isn't unique to William Morrow at all. It's just generally. I'll get pitched some book that I'm thinking, oh, that's so random for me. But then there will be another book that sounds so good and I don't get pitched. And I have a relationship with the publicist or the, you know, the publisher. So I'm always curious exactly how all that happens. So again, very unique to every campaign, but early on, we tend to go really wide and just kind of like see who falls out of the tree, right? Like who's interested and we'll go really wide. And if like we don't get some bites on that, then we'll like hone it down a little bit more. But it also depends on like, is the author going to, does, do they have time to do interviews, you know, with certain bloggers or podcasters or whatever? Um, we might be getting a lot of interest for a certain book from bookstagrams, like without pitching. So if we're already getting that interest in that realm, then we might not do like a forward facing pitch to that realm because we've already got a lot of coverage in that area. So that's, that's a brief answer, but does that cover everything? I think so. So again, it's just very tailored based on the book and the other factors that are happening out in the world. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that we, that maybe is not understood is we take the author's wants and needs and what they want for their campaign into consideration a lot more than I think a lot of people might consider that we do. Um, they are a partner, you know, earlier I said, there's a team and it's editorial and marketing and publicity are very close, but the, I, I forgot to mention the author. The author is part of the team. They are just as integral in the team as anyone else. We really want to hear what they think. You know, they spent years with their book. They know it more closely than anyone on our team. So we really want to hear who they know, who they think this would be good for, and you know what they're willing to do for the book as well. That's so interesting because I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it all. And I do think you're right that a lot of people probably don't really know that the author plays a role in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, every interview request gets 
passed by the author. Now, the one thing I will say is if a book has a strong review campaign, that is one thing that we really can't control, right? Reviews from the trades, or if we are sending a book out to be reviewed, we will pitch it and we'll say, oh, this is great. You should review it because X, Y, and Z, and I think it'll really appeal to you, you know, all those things. We cannot control how that message, how the reviews end up. The saying that we use is, you know, you can bring the horse to water, but you can't make it drink it. Um, we say that all the time. You know, we can give the book, we can pitch it, we can, we've even had people read it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the review is going to happen or that it's going to be a good review. Unfortunately, bad reviews do happen or no reviews happen. And that's just one thing that we can't control. Absolutely. And you don't want to. I mean, you know, you want those to be independent so that they're valid and people feel comfortable that they're accurate versus paid for or whatever, like all that drama related to Amazon a while ago and paid reviews, you know, it definitely takes away some of the validity of the review. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's one of the unique things about publishing PR is at the end of the day, People read books because they're recommended the books. It's all about word of mouth. And we are just trying to get the biggest mouths (laughs) (laughs) to uh, spread the word. But we also realize that there is communities who of readers who are just as important as a Today Show pick or whatever. So it's a buffet of <laughs> different recommendations, and we, we try to take a little bit of each section. And some books are really going to take off with one group and not another, and you just have to sort of see what happens with respect to that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's definitely different readers for every type of book. <laughs> Let's just say that. Exactly. And I know you love every book you work on, but is there one particular book that you're an evangelist for? Oh, I am an evangelist for Hung Shepherd's The Book of M. It came out, oh gosh, I want to say three years ago. It is a magical realism book. It's about basically a a global pandemic (laughs) hits uh, the world and people start losing their shadows. And when they start losing their shadows, they start losing their memory. And it is just about this couple who they're quarantining, trying not to get this, whatever's happening. They don't know how it's spreading or whatever. And um, and then one day, the woman loses her shadow. And she's like, well, I don't want to spread it to, to my partner, so I'm going to go on the run. And all of the kind of challenges she encounters. And it is just so beautifully written. It's got like a Station Eleven feel to it. But I don't want to say it's more commercial. I I think it's a little bit more thrilling, maybe. I love Station Eleven too. I love that book as well. But I just love the book of them. It's so good. And Pung has a new book coming out in the winter in March 2022 called The Cartographers about the secrets within maps. And I am, it's phenomenal. I cannot wait to work on that book. I'm just so excited. I cannot wait to like spread the word. Okay. Well, I'm going to add the book of M to my list. And then obviously I want to be on the list for the cartographer. (laughs) Yes. She's just amazing to work with. She's just brings a lot to the table. um, And I think that's, that's always a pleasure when you, when you feel like you have a, a real partner in the PR process. Absolutely. And they're excited to work with you and understand the importance and all of that. 
Yeah. What about celebrity book clubs? You mentioned that in passing a few minutes ago. Do you feel like they are helpful? Is it something that you all try to focus on or do you really look in other directions? No, I mean, they are probably the biggest driver right now for fiction. They're super helpful. And, you know, we, we try to, we pitch, you know, as many as we can. We, you know, I think they're great. I think uh, it's a little difficult to figure out what they're looking for sometimes. <laughs> I think that changes uh, as it should. I don't think anyone should be boxed into we're looking for this type of book. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're great. I think they have really revived certain genres. And I think they have provided a good platform for authors that maybe weren't as successful before they got the book club pick, but are, you know, very valid writers and very good. I think they're great. And I think I'd love to see more of them. I would love to see different big mouth people get different book clubs. Cause I think, you know, I think people are just looking, there's, there's a wealth of books out there. And I think people are just looking for that stamp of approval that, you know, I'm going to invest however many hours it takes me to read this book. And I want to be entertained, you know, and I think the book clubs are a good way to do that. Is there one that you consider to be the best one? Or is it more that each one kind of brings something different to the table? It's so strange, right? And it's and, and this is why publishing is so so unique. I think you know sometimes we will say if we knew what made a bestseller, we would make them all bestsellers. <laughs> of course, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so I, it's really like we've seen a Jenna pick do amazingly well and like be on the list for ages, and then we've seen a Jenna pick not even hit the list. We've seen a Reese pick do like, I, I believe Lucy Foley's The Guest List was one of ours that was, it's still doing amazingly well. And then we've seen Reese picks that don't even, you know, have a blip. You know, I think that again, it comes down to the read. And I think what people, the word of mouth and the the pick is a great way to get visibility and people are like, already have that seal of approval. but. At the end of the day, it's really about you're going to get a certain amount of people with that pick, but then it's the aftershocks of people who the the original people who read it and then those people talking about the book afterwards. I have been amazed at that Lucy Foley book and the legs it has had. I mean, it is still showing up everywhere. I know. Well, it's a great book. I mean, that's the thing. It's a great book. It's It's got a concept that is understandable. People can relate to it. It's got this classic vibe to it that it's comfortable in a way. And I I just think it it hits all the right notes. And Lucy is just, again, an amazing author to work with. I, I don't personally work with her, but I did an event with her for Agatha Christie for the murder of Roger Ackroyd. And she is just whip smart, a real student in the mystery genre and really just knows everything about it. She's going to be a star. I mean, she's already a star, but she's going to be a a megastar. I just think it's really fun to see a book like that, that just continues to stay sort of like crawdads, you know, these books that just indefinitely are out there. And I love that because that just means people are continuing to read and find a book and enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes to show that any book can really take off at any time. I mean, I mean, I know we haven't probably ending the end of our conversation soon, but and this is probably a big topic, but TikTok, I mean, 
talk about a way that books that have been out for a while, all of a sudden getting this like an enormous attention. Uh, Song of the Achilles is blowing up <laughs> on TikTok and, and on the bestseller list. And it is one that, you know, we haven't published. It, it was published years ago. I want to... I, and now, I mean, it's it's on the bestseller list every week. I mean, people are still rediscovering it, and it's just blowing up, and, and it's all due to TikTok. So I think TikTok's definitely something that we're looking at, but it's a, t- it's, a, it's a tough one. TikTok's a tough one because it's not about people. It's about videos, and it's about the algorithm, and unless, you know, unless you know the algorithm or, you know, it's a very unpredictable social media platform. And I think every social media platform is so different and you have to try to figure one particular one out. And I sort of feel like, okay, like I've focused on Instagram. There's no way I can add tick. Well, I'm too old for TikTok anyway, but like throwing TikTok into the mix. But I do know my 20 year old has come to me in the last couple of months with lists of books because she sees all these videos on TikTok and people recommending them. And a lot of times it's books I have. So I'm like, oh yes, I have that here. But, you know, that's how she's finding what she wants to read a lot of the time now. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I, you know, the social media sites are always reinventing themselves. I hear Instagram is going to be video based now. So who knows? Uh, I think the one advice I would say is even though we as your publisher, you know, we are happy to advise on social media and everything. If you can figure that out for yourself, (laughs) I think you are 10 steps ahead of the game because I think having a strong social media presence there's a reason why, you know, uh, YouTubers get book deals. It's because they have a strong platform. And if you can build your platform on social media, you are, you know, like I said, you're ahead of the game when you come to us with a proposal or a, a book, because the writing of the book always takes precedence, always, no matter what, because if you don't have a good product and you're giving it to us, then, then it's, you know, then it's going to be 10 times harder. But if you already have that down, your next step is creating your platform. And we usually say, pick one, pick one social media and, and do it the best. But I do think that there is an advantage to dipping your toe into some other ones as well. That's so interesting that you say that because I just was interviewed recently about being a podcaster and book reviewer and was asked my advice for authors. And I said exactly what you said. Obviously, your book is the most important. But prior to getting published, you really need to build up your presence on some social media. Because if you already have that presence and you've developed relationships with other authors and with Instagrammers or you know people on Twitter or TikTok, whatever it's going to be, you've already developed those relationships then you're going to be so much better off. And I see that all the time with people I interview. I'll tweet about an interview and an author that has developed all of those relationships, everybody is sharing it. And those that haven't, it just kind of sits there. That's such good advice. And I think it's wonderful when authors understand that and and get going on it long before the book is coming out. And to not just post about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is about developing a community. Share what your other, with your fellow genre, if you're a genre writer, is sharing or, you know, comment on the latest viral essay about publishing or, you know, just I think the another piece of advice is learn your industry. You are a writer now. You are in publishing. You need to know what you're getting into. You wouldn't go start a job in 
I don't know what industry, <laughs> like the media, I guess, and and not get trade publications and newsletters about the media or, you know, or, or car dealership. You know, you need to know that car front frontwards and backwards and you need to know what is going on in publishing and you should sign up for newsletters. You should read PW Daily. You should, you know, get pub lunch. There's, you know, all of these things that you need to know because now you are a part of the industry. I think that's exactly right. Before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you recommend. I know you talked a little bit about the one book you're an evangelist for, but generally, like recently, what have you read that you loved and you would recommend? Oh, I um I love Riley Sager. He's great. He like has these like twisty turny books. Um, same with Taylor Adams, who I just worked on. I'm I'm trying to think of things that I'm not working on, but Taylor Adams, I did work on Hairpin Bridge, and he like if you need a book to just snap you out of your reading slump, he writes these like read them in a night and like page turning suspenseful books. I read a lot of proposals and I read a lot of things that are not coming out for a while. So that's kind of where my mind is right now. What about your book that came out this week? Oh, yeah. Island Queen. I love this. It just got an amazing, amazing, amazing New York Times review. Oh, yay. Yeah, I'm so thrilled for her. I mean, this book is six years in the making. Vanessa Riley is the author, and she she saw this caricature of the King of England at the time, who was a prince at the time, with a Black woman. And the woman was drawn very beautifully. And usually at that time, Black women would be drawn garishly with big lips and that sort of thing. Um, And she was like, well, who is this woman that is being respected by this cartoonist? And her name is Dorothy Kerwin Thomas, and she was one of the most powerful, wealthy women in the Caribbean. She, so the Island Queen is about her life and what she went through, being born into slavery, earning her freedom, paying for the freedom of her mother and her sister and other family members, and then ultimately owning a lot of businesses and a plantation, and then the struggles at the end of her life of owning slaves actually and because she was a plantation owner and and the struggle and the and the morality struggles that she faced because of that and it is just a it's just an, a beautiful story of a woman that has been forgotten by history and reimagined by Vanessa Riley who is just an amazing author she is delightful i absolutely loved interviewing her and that was one of my favorite conversations so I was so glad you connected us oh yeah she's great and she talk about hard working authors She's already, she's in Clubhouse, which like we have barely even opened the door on that social media platform. She's on TikTok. She's on all the social media. If you want to look for an author who is doing the right things, look at Vanessa because she is a hard worker. She is just like innovative. She does everything that she can possibly do for her book and it shows. And she's written a variety of different types of books, too. Absolutely, yeah. She's written romance as well. This is our first book with her, and I hope okay. it's not our last because I I adore her. And generous. She is so generous. She was just in Shelf Awareness this morning and promoting all of different authors, different books. I, I think it, it's, she's just she's one to watch. If you want to model your career about someone, then I would look at her and see how she how she's running her game. Well, good. Well, like I said, I loved speaking with her. She was delightful. And she did that really fun video with like the curling iron. And I was asking her about that and (laughs) our interview. So definitely, she's a lot of fun and has a great social media presence and is so kind, like you said, about other authors. And 
you know, highlighting other people, which is just so nice to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Danielle, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to talk again. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider becoming a page turner in my Patreon program. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast, and I hope you'll tune in next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.